I'd like to welcome all of you who are joining us online. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. And thank you for all of you who attend here. Even after all these years, I still some days wake up and have to pinch myself. Do I really get to be part of such an amazing congregation? My life is better because of you. Thank you for your investment in me. God has laid on my heart three good vibe proverbs. It would make a very nice three-point sermon. I have so many stories of so many people and so many circumstances that could illustrate these points so very well. And I could call you to respond to this calling in your life. But that's not what God is calling me to do today. He's taking me way out of my comfort zone. I hope you will listen with grace, and I hope you will pray for me as I speak. This is not going to be so much a sermon as it is a story I'm going to tell you about what God is doing in my life to bring to me progressive healing. I struggle to define what this is that God is doing in me. But I can tell you this, that it was because of my personal failures and struggles. That is what God used to get my attention. And right now, God is doing in my life the greatest work since my conversion. Everything is changing. I struggle with in how to describe this change going on inside of me, but the only metaphors that come to mind I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. Although my description of this ongoing work in my, God, in, in my life seems extreme, everything is changing. My priorities are different. Every relationship has been impacted and is being impacted. Scripture that I have read for decades leaps from the pages and penetrates my soul in ways that I just never saw before. When I hear sermons or teachings, it just seems to penetrate deeper and has a bigger impact on me. This work of God, it's all I want to talk about. Like the blind man in John chapter 9, I don't know much about the how or what God is doing. All I know is I was blind and now I see. And I simply cannot stop talking about this. But before I get into that story, let me give you just a very brief history. Cheryl and I left seminary and we went to a church in Indiana where we were lead pastor there for nine years. Then we came here. We have now been on the pastoral staff here for 30 years. I use the plural pronoun we because you simply cannot understand me or anything about what I do without understanding the impact Cheryl has had on me that impacts everything I do and makes me better. Even though my CWC responsibilities are primarily administrative, the passion in my soul is to see people come to Jesus and to see him grow. This passion 
has had a downside to it. I have become an expert at seeing the speck in other people's eye and even developing some skill in helping people get that speck out of their lives while being blind to the plank in my own eyes. I grew up in an era that it was safe, acceptable, and even admired for pastors to confess about brokenness of a far distant past. But it was neither acceptable nor safe to speak about current brokenness. Because of my far distant past, I have always been inclined toward people with addictions and compulsive behaviors. Most particularly nine years ago, I started to really focus on that ministry, started gathering around me some groups of people who were pursuing recovery from addictions and compulsive behavior. I've made five observations about what is commonly experienced by people with addictions and compulsive behaviors. I would like to show them to you at this time. First, oftentimes they are blind to having a problem they cannot control. Sometimes they're blind to having a problem. And sometimes they're just blind to not understanding they can't control it. Secondly, I have observed this group of people again and again and again trying over and over to fix this thing on their own, only to fail yet again. Thirdly, I have commonly observed guilt, shame, and despair. Guilt because of the harm they are doing to themselves and to the people they love all around them. Shame because of the personal failure again and again trying to overcome something that just keeps getting the best of them. And worst of all, despair. Hope evaporating as though nothing is ever going to change. They see confession as the ultimate sign of weakness and shame to avoid at all costs. They hide in isolation as a means to protect themselves, building walls around them, isolating from friends and family that would so much wish to help them. But it's all part of a plan to protect themselves. Although I have seen these patterns in person after person into the dozens and scores of people over these last nine years, I never imagined that they could be true of me after spending my entire adult life in ministry I realized every one of them is true of me the first good vibe that I'd like to share with you freedom in, in confession Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. 
It's very natural for me to tell you stories about my far distant past and what God has delivered me from and the amazing journey God has had me on, but it's much more difficult to speak to you about current struggles. For you see, over the course of my entire adult life, there are two struggles that long-term I have never been able to control. What I eat and how much I work. I've tried again and again unsuccessfully to control these challenges. And it was these very challenges that God used to get my attention. And that's the story that I would like to tell you this morning. This story of a new work of God in my life began on January 2017. I will never forget this day. I am quite certain, no matter how long I live. I was scheduled to open a gathering in prayer, and as I sat there, suddenly I had this overwhelming feeling that after four and a half years of focusing on the addictions and compulsive behaviors of others, suddenly God was speaking to me about my brokenness, and this is simply the message that came rushing into my soul. I came to believe that I, my life had become unmanageable. I was powerless to fix it, evidenced by my weight being the worst it had ever been. In the few minutes that thought came to my mind. My mind began to rush a thousand miles an hour. Everything inside of me began to scream, no, not now. I do not want to confess this now when I am so broken. My heart was pounding a hundred miles an hour. I thought it was going to leap from my chest. There were three lies that kept circulating in my mind. It seemed like they were just going in a faster and faster spinning one after another just kept coming back. These are the three lies. While I sit there and battled, am I going to confess? Am I not going to confess? Am I going to, am I going to come clean? Am I going to continue the illusion of hiding from everybody? Lie number one. I need to fix this first then I will confess. I even tried to make a deal with God. I'll even split it with you, Lord. At least let me make some progress first. Then I will confess. Lie number two. I have had a lifetime of failure in trying to control my weight. To go public with this, to connect it to God, would seem like an ultimate failure to the heart of my call. It was an unthinkable thought for me. Lie number three, if I don't make it, I'm going to bring shame to the whole gospel. These lies kept going, going, and going in my mind. And I have to tell you the weakness of my flesh as I made my way to the front of that gathering, preparing to open, knowing that God was saying, you have to come clean. You've got to confess this tonight. Everything inside of me was screaming, no, I wasn't sure whether I was going to speak or not. I confessed that night. 
I confess that not only did I need God's help for compulsive, compulsive eating, but I needed his healing because I was broken. Not something in a far distant past, but something current, something right then. Now, if you'll allow me to kind of put that story on hold just for a moment and allow me to make a parenthetical detour, I want to tell you five truths about confession. These are five truths that live in my soul. They live into my soul because of my experience and because of my experience of seeing now dozens of people. In the moment they confess, I see these things happening. I know them to be true. So allow me this parenthetical to share five truths about confession. Truth number one, getting our brokenness out in the open strips it of much of its power over us because we become as sick as our secrets. Satan wants to intimidate us. He wants to hold us hostage. He wants to threaten us that if people find out the real you, you're going to come crashing down. Well, guess what? When you admit it to the world, you strip him of that power. You strip him of that intimidation. And suddenly it opens you up to something new. Truth number two. Confession of current struggles may seem like weakness, but it is strength beyond description. It is the power of Christ working in somebody's life. So many times I have been with people and they just dread confessing what everybody else knows. They see it as such a weakness. They are so afraid of admitting what everybody knows. And yet when they do, we celebrate the strength because that's the work of God in their life. Truth number three, confession is one of the greatest steps toward courage and strength that anybody can take because there's no guarantees. We have to overcome the fear of failing yet again. It takes courage and it takes strength to come out in the open. But oh, truth number four, I believe with my whole soul, Truth number four, but most of all, I see confession as the pathway toward freedom, as the walls of our self-made prison come tumbling down. We do so many things to protect ourselves. So many ways do we try to hide our brokenness from others. So many ways we try to rationalize and justify. These are all walls of protection around us, and we don't even realize it becomes a prison but when we step out and we confess, these walls come tumbling down, which opens us up to truth number five. We cannot find the path forward to healing until we admit we are powerlessness to fix it on our own. Yes, God began a work in my life January 2017 in that moment, I thought that work was about losing weight and balancing my work. Little did I realize then, those were just the symptoms. Those were just the tools God was using to grab my attention for what he really wanted to show me. I could not have imagined then that that wasn't even the battle. 
Good proverb number two, iron sharpens iron. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. God brought a number of believers into my life. I was inspired by their stories. I was taught by their teaching. And so much more I could say. But from January 2017, from the next four and a half years, I pursued a journey to become free from disordered eating and an out-of-balance work life. I followed a plan. I submitted to accountability. I began reading and seeking God's help to deliver me from this bondage. I worked hard. I did so many things out of my two favorite words, duty and responsibility. I wanted to win this battle. And yes, with my words, I was saying I was depending on God, and I, I, in my heart I believed that, but that was my story of recovery. I wish I could tell you that my journey was uninterrupted success, but that has not been the case for me. My story, especially with disordered eating, which is the easiest to observe, I would make progress for six months, fall into relapse for two to four months, and then begin again. In total, my weight was drifting downward in a rather significant way. But I knew that I was, something was wrong. Something was still broken. Something was still out of adjustment. Why did I keep failing again and again? I never thought I would say this. I have heard some of my alcoholic friends say this, and I sometimes I just, is that really true? I now say it with as much passion as I know to say it to you. I genuinely am thankful to God for my failures because it was in my failures that it made me desperate for God, desperate to find his solution, desperate to find answers that I could not find on my own. And this desperation, iron sharpens iron. It led me to do what is so unnatural for me, and that is to seek help from other people. The continued relapses of disordered eating caused me to step out of my comfort zone, admit to other people, I cannot do this. Some of those voices in my, in my past encouraged me to do what I have told scores of other people to do. Look past your addiction and compulsive behavior. Look in your past. Is there some big hurt? Is there some brokenness there that perhaps is leading and contributing to the struggle. Again and again, I would look at my past and I got nothing. Few hurts, some pain, but really, got nothing. Year after year, I would look and I got nothing. But after my most recent failure, I knew something was broken. I started talking to everybody who would talk to me and some who wouldn't. I went to small groups. I began to read. I have got to find something. 
I never could have imagined that God would lead me to what I considered to be one of my core values. What I'm about to say to you, many people here will know this to be true. Because if you have ever served on a committee with me, if you have ever been on a board with me, if you have ever worked with me for any length of time, you have heard me ask this rhetorical question when that group was making a value decision. And it goes like this. What would our worst critic say about this decision? That was my core value because I believed it spoke of integrity. I believed that it spoke to the highest possible decision point. If we would make a decision that would be seen as one of integrity by our worst critic, it must be the right decision. God began to focus my attention on that, began to ask myself over and over, where'd that question come from? How long's it been there? And I began to realize, there's a long story here, but I'm making it really short. I began to realize I did not just ask that question in meetings. I would ask myself that question 20 times a day. I began to realize that I have lived my entire adult life trying to live above reproach of what I imagined to be the evaluation of my worst critic. And one time, iron, sharpening iron. I'm a sponsor. Code for, I'm well experienced in recovery. I have a lot to say. I can, I can help people through the process. I know the steps. I know the principles. I'm working with a brand new person in recovery. Hardly knows the way up. I'm instructing him. He asks me one Simple question. And it was like a bolt of lightning, like a revelation. And suddenly God burst on my psychic and several pieces of the puzzle suddenly came together. And I'm still stunned by one question ignited all of this inside of me. And I am quite certain I will never again be the same because of that one question. And it goes like this, Lynn, who ultimately is our worst critic? And suddenly, in a flash, in a moment of revelation, Satan's name means accuser. He's accuser of the brethren. He lies. He will do anything he can to get us off track, to put us down, to condemn us. We could never meet that standard. The next thing that come rushing into my soul is I began to realize this has been a voice in my head my entire life. Every part of my life, I'm trying to live up to an impossible standard. And the shock of shock that shudder, it makes me theologically, I don't even have words to describe how shocking this was to me when I suddenly realized ultimately deep down, I believed that voice was God. No matter what I did, no matter how hard I worked, no matter what, it was just not quite good enough. 
And almost instantaneously, at that very moment, I began to imagine myself as a grandkid. And, and in case you're doubting, we got two of the best kids in the whole church right here in the front row here. They're my, my grandkids. When I see them on the soccer field, when I see them doing something, I cheer them like crazy. I could care less who wins the game, who doesn't win the game. I just want to see their faces smile. I want to see affirmation come into their soul. I want to see their self-confidence. I'm cheering them on. And suddenly I understand that's what God is doing for me. He's cheering me on not to hit some number for weight, not to manage my work into some, near, some number of hours. He's cheering me on because he values me, he loves me, and he wants the best for me. And that is a story for all of you. <sighs> what I'm about to share with you is a little bit spooky. And I apologize that it sounds so mystic. I don't know what else to say. But in that moment, it's like I could see shackles falling from my hands. It's like I could see leg irons falling from my feet. And in that moment, I realized that I have been working so hard, controlling what I do and don't eat, controlling what I, what, how many hours I work or what exercise I do. I suddenly realized I'm fighting the wrong battle. And in that moment, in that moment of revelation, I suddenly realized what God wants for me more than anything else is to live a more ordered life. And in that moment, I felt pure joy and freedom. Prior to this moment, if you were to ask me about recovery, I would talk to you about a plan. I'd talk to you about hard work. I'd talk to you about determination. I'd talk to you about accountability. Oh, talk to me about it today. I dare you. I dare you to talk to me about recovery today because I want to talk to you about freedom and I want to talk to you about joy and I want to talk to you about power. For those of you who are nurses among us, please forgive me for this illustration because I know you don't like motorcycles. <laughs> Lots of you know I ride a motorcycle quite often. I sometimes ride it in the wintertime sub-freezing weather. And some of you can only imagine the adversity, the cold, it's awful, maybe even some additional risk. I'll give you a little note. Don't feel sorry for me. Because when I'm on that motorcycle, I'm not thinking about the adversity. Yes, I have prepared for the adversity I have certain gloves I wear. I have a coat that I wear. But when I fire up that engine, I hear the roar of the engine. I kick up the kickstand. One twist of the throttle and I thrust forward. A leaning into the curves, a wind blowing. I feel freedom and I feel joy. That's what my recovery is today. That's the two words that come flowing from my mind is joy and it's freedom. I have found grace to fill me with power, 
The funny thing about it, I used to work so hard, but sooner or later I'd get tired and, and I'd just give up. And now when I hardly even think about how much I weigh or how many hours I work, suddenly I'm so filled with joy and freedom. And yet, amazing to me, I'm working harder than I have ever worked before. But not one ounce of it is being driven to meet a standard I cannot meet. I am being driven by the idea that just maybe I'm putting a smile on my best cheerleader's face. It is incredibly energizing. I am driven. I am driven toward recovery because I want more of this joy and freedom. Good vibe number three. Every step of my journey was motivated by community. The way of fools seem right to them, but the wise listen to advice. You probably have heard me mentioning community, iron sharpens iron. And maybe you think, well, that's just his personality. I'm here to tell you it's not my personality at all. I could give you stories that you'd either be laughing so hard you couldn't sit in your chair or you would be crying. And if I ran, ran out of stories, my wife could give you a whole bunch more. I can do it myself. I can find my way. There is no part of community that is natural for me. Oh, I want all of you in community. I want you to join small groups. I know you guys need it. But me? Oh, I, I've got this figured out. I know the steps. I know the principles. I know... I. I've got this figured out. I'm here to tell you, whatever else you think about my story, every single step forward that I have taken, without even one exception, has come to me and been, or been enhanced to me by what I have learned in community. I simply did not know what I did not know. But I also want to tell you this. There's only one reason I humbled myself and I sought the, the help of other people. And that's because I became desperate after failure, after failure, after failure. And finally, I realized this is not a battle I can fight on my own. I need other people. Their stories inspired me to levels I could never have found on my own. Long term, I have very little confidence in myself. But I know I'm planning to depend on the accountability and wise insight for, uh, with others when I struggle. I get courage and motivation from them. Nine plus years ago, when I felt the call of God leading me into some more focused recovery type ministry and I started working with other people, I thought then and for the next four plus years, I was focused like a rifle shot on helping those people. 
I had the answers. I had a story from my long distance past. Call it whatever you want. I was there to help those people. Little did I know that it was nine plus years ago that God looked down to me and he saw me on a freight train heading toward a brick wall as fast as I could, completely unaware of what was coming. He threw me a lifeline. I just traded emails with, or text message, whatever it is, between somebody after first service happens to be one of my alcoholic friends. He said something this or that about what the morning meant to him. I said, imagine that. Two broken people helping each other. Sometimes we say broken people hurt people, hurt people, hurt other people. But you know something? Broken people can help broken people too. I have found Celebrate Recovery to be a community that inspires believers toward confession, where iron sharpens iron and is an excellent place to find accountability and motivation to keep taking steps forward. Two-thirds of the people who come to Celebrate Recovery are coming for something other than drugs or alcohol. You may find a community a small group, or close friends to help you in your journey. I simply beg of you, do you to remember that you do not know what you do not know. I would like to speak just a moment about denial. I dare say I would put myself up against anybody in this church. I have perfected denial to the nth degree. It is unbelievable how I can deceive myself and somehow make myself completely unaware of my brokenness. But there's three lies of denial. I know them well. I've lived every one of them. I've seen them in scores of people. They most often flourish in isolation. But you step into community and it's like a floodlight on them. And all of a sudden, the foolishness of them is very apparent. Lie number one. I'm not as bad as. I couldn't tell you how many alcoholics, drug addicts, or other broken people that I have been with, and in some sort of sick way, well, I'm not as bad as, come flooding to my mind. But you step into community and the community can see what you're blind at. You may not be as bad as yet, but that's where you're heading. That's the inevitable pathway of brokenness. It spins around and eventually it ends up in the same place. Lie number two, I do not have a problem. I could fix this any time I want. I've done it many times times before. I could not even begin to count the number of times I have heard that being said to me by alcoholics, drug addicts, or other things. I don't really have a problem. I, I, I could fix this anytime. And I'd walk away saying, how blind can they be? Can't they hear their words? 
January 2017. I was in the biggest crisis of my weight and work addiction of any time in my life. And honestly and truly, I did not think I had a weight problem. After all, I can solve this any time I want because I've done it many times before. You see, the difference between me and my alcoholic friends or drug addict friends, very little difference in that regard. Lie number three, I don't need community. I can do this on my own. This is a lie that I particularly struggle with because I struggle with it because theoretically, theologically, I recognize, yes, it's possible. But I'm here to tell you with the human nature I have observed and the observation of this person who has spent most of his adult life under the illusion, I fixed that years ago or I fixed this years ago. For nine years, I am fighting a battle on the wrong battlefield. I have to tell you, for this person, I simply cannot do this on my own. There is too many things I cannot see. There are too many ways I lie to myself. The puzzle pieces of your journey are likely different than mine, but God desires the best for you. He wants you to be better. No matter where you are in your journey, God wants more for you. I used to be highly motivated and had a passion to see people get past their addictions and compulsive behavior. I still have a desire for that. It is no longer my passion. The passion for me, if God will bless me, if there's one thing I can do, this is the one thing I want to do. I would like to nudge people toward joy and freedom. Because for me, that is where the power is to find out this is God's battle. And he begins to do a work in them to where they choose something better instead of focusing only on what they're going to do or not going to do. This joy and freedom, this whole battle of the mind is just filling my mind. I can't wait for my class to start this, this fall because I'm going to be teaching about the battlefield of the mind and how Satan wants to fill our minds full of lies and mistruths. He wants to redirect us. And, and our, I have come to believe that our lives tend to move in the direction of our deepest thoughts. That is where a battlefield of the mind is. And I did not realize how intense that battlefield was. I need to bring this to a conclusion. I want to give you a few honest statements as I come to a close. I do not know what is going to happen with my weight long term. Those of you who have been around know I have spent a lifetime being unsuccessful in that battle. I have no guarantees about that. But I am celebrating today. I am genuinely celebrating today that Jesus gives me power to take steps toward living a more balanced life and I have a growing confidence in Jesus. 
But this one thing I know, that voice that has been in my head my entire life, praise be to God, is gone. There is a new voice in my head. I suddenly see the smile of my greatest cheerleader cheering me on. And he wants to do that for you and your struggle. It's not about wanting to beat you down just because you trip up. He wants, he wants the best for you. He wants the best for me. We're going to ask the band to come forward for a closing song. Perhaps this hour it'll be a more familiar song. I know for some maybe it'll be a new song. You can blame my wife for this song. I was uh, teaching on denial. I have so many examples. And she was helping me with uh, some perspective on it. And she said, Lynn, you ought you to use this song. I'm convinced that she picked this song for two reasons. She picked this song, one, because she thought it would be helpful to the teaching I was doing. Secondly, she picked this song because she's lived with me for 44 years. And she knows in my most difficult, trying, hard days, I retreat to within myself. I come home and she says, how's things going, Lynn? Fine. She started singing this song to me. When you hear the song, think of the three lies, but don't stop there. Think of the hope. Think of the step forward. Lie number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when asked, never better. Lie number two, everybody's life is perfect except yours. So you keep your messes and your wounds secret behind closed doors. So often I say, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. But I'm not. I'm broken. God knows our brokenness. He wants us to come just as we are. There is no sin that he does not know. I used to think of confession as a theological thing, something we had to do before somehow we could become saved. Now when I hear confession, I'm thinking about the walls of our prison come crashing down. That's why he wants us to confess. He wants us to break out of this illusion of self-deception. Whatever else you think of when you hear this song, my name is on every stanza of it. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together And when they ask you how you're doing, just smile and tell never better Line number two, everybody's life is perfect except yours and yours and your secrets safe with you behind closed doors and truth be told the truth is rarely told I say I'm fine hey I'm fine oh I'm fine hey I'm fine but I'm not I'm broken when it's out of control I say it's under control
make a couple closing points. Whenever you tell a story like I did, especially when you're as emotional about it as I am, sometimes things that are said are misunderstood. I just want to bring it to clarity what I tried to say today. Whatever else you think about my story, it is not a story about weight loss. It's not even a story about somehow arriving at a destination where my life is suddenly well-ordered. This is a story about a journey. Although it's been going on for a very long time, it's begun new. I feel like it's like a It's like a new chapter. I just turned the page. And and in my spirit, I feel like there's a whole book yet to turn the pages to. I just know everything is due. But there's one last thing I want to make sure there is no question about. If you somehow got the illusion that I'm saying I have arrived, 
I have not. I want to share this final scripture with you with all the passion that I know to share it. Now that I have, not that I have already attained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But this one thing I do, forgetting that which is behind and straining toward that which is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It's a journey that I have begun. In my past, so often I would want to call you to the altar. I'd want you to sign a card, circle a letter. I'd want to know how many people made a decision. My hope, my desire, maybe somebody here is ready to take a step on a new journey. Maybe you're ready to start putting the puzzle pieces of recovery together. I've got a couple suggestions for you. Outside in the lobby, there's a table for celebrate recovery. Talk to somebody there. See if maybe it's a place for you. You may not have a problem, but come help people like me. You might be surprised what God has for you. There's also a table out there. If you find your marriage could use a tune-up, maybe you're facing some struggles. In this fall, there's going to be a new class taught by Dwayne and Lee Zuber, and, and maybe this is a step toward healing in your marriage. But take a step. Take it from me. Don't try to do it on your own. Step out. Connect to a community. One last announcement I want to give to you. Right after this service, if you make your way down to the multi-purpose room, it's the old gym, Pastor Craig's going to be giving us some highlights of the church, talking about a vision for the future, talking especially about some of the changes in the worship arts. It was a fantastic time at 8 o'clock this morning. Many of you will want to stop and go part of that. Stand with me if you will. Allow me to pray for you and ask God's blessing on you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your grace and your mercy. I've been speaking about grace and mercy my entire adult life, but suddenly I hear it with new words. I suddenly see the power that's connected to grace, the life-changing thing you do in our hearts simply by receiving your great gift. And for this wonderful congregation that has done so much to impact my life, if there's one person here struggling with an addiction or compulsive behavior, or some other struggle, help them to hear a new voice in their heads and take a new step. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.